Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We're in James chapter 3. You see the title up on the screen. You kind of know where we're going. If you're still here, it means you're not afraid. (laughs) For a man to walk in God's ways is to walk in a sense of, of wholeness, completeness, a sense of uh, substance, a sense of purpose, knowing, knowing why we're alive, having a sense of intentionality about it. Uh, to walk in, in God's ways is to walk in satisfaction, to be satisfied uh, and to have a sense of contentment. Um, and and, and, and all of, in all of that, to walk in God's ways is to walk in safety. Because if there's something that threatens to take away any of those other things, uh, then, then those things are always vulnerable. But part of walking in God's ways is to walk in safety, that those things are protected. Uh, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 91. It's, uh, one, it might, they think maybe it was written by Moses, but, uh, but it's the one that blesses the man who, who walks in the secret place of the Most High. And then the whole psalm is just about the protection that God gives. Um, and, and it talks about how you'll, you walk in God's ways and you're going to see a thousand fall to your right and 10,000 to your left, but you're going to walk in safety because God protects and preserves. And so he teaches us his ways. And then, and then as we walk in those ways, not only do we experience the fullness of it, but we have the protection of God. He protects us so that, so that we're not threatened by it. And so everything that God says to us is either to build us up or to preserve that's why God speaks. Now, James' agenda, the reason why he's writing, is to encourage us to walk in God's ways so that we have all that. It's not just to know it uh, or to believe it or to preach it, but that we might do it, that we might live it so that we can experience it. That's James' agenda. That's what he wants. Um, now, the reason why all that matters is because we live in a world that is hostile to the ways of God and hostile to the people of God. And so there are a lot of threats. There's a lot of things that can constantly be stealing from us the wholeness, the purpose, the satisfaction, and the safety um, that we have. And so uh, we need to know God's ways because otherwise we're going to be taken out. Those things are going to be taken from us. And so it matters. one of the things that James is going to talk to us about this morning is one of those things that can take us out because uh, some of the hostilities and the things that come against us, some of those things are easily avoided because they're, they're things that are on the outside of us, you know. So, um, you know, we can avoid greed, you know, like going after things because we can just distance ourselves from, from what we know tempts us or what we know is a threat to us. Some things are easily avoided, those hostilities, but some things are not easily avoided um, because they're not outside of us, uh, they're inside of us. And sometimes they're attached to us. And uh, one of the the great hostilities, one of the things that can take us out, uh, and it's more subtle than anything else, is this little tiny thing called the tongue. It's attached to us. And James has a lot to say in his uh, book. He's going to give a whole chapter just to this one thing that has the ability to take us out, ruin us uh, more easily and more subtly than anyone else. It's the least suspected and maybe the most dangerous thing, and it's probably where we're the most vulnerable, and it's our tongue. And so uh, look at verse 
one of uh, of chapter James. Where am I? Losing my place here. Verse one of James chapter three. He says this. He says, "My brethren," he says, "be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive." the greater condemnation or the stricter judgment. Uh, So masters uh, is literally teachers, preachers, or leaders. That's who he's talking about there. People uh, in the context that use their mouth to serve God in some capacity, or, or they are leaders in some way. And he says that the reason why you should not have teacher ambition uh, or the desire to do this, should you not be called to do this, is because, he says, singularly, that you will receive the stricter judgment. The greater condemnation is the stricter judgment. Uh, more, more literally, it's you'll receive the greater scrutiny. Now, the, 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 the classic kind of and, and really the, the most uh, seemingly obvious interpretation of this is that you're going to be held to a higher standard before God. In other words, that like if you are, are someone who speaks for God, then God is going to hold you to a greater account than someone else. That's kind of the classic interpretation. I've been a preacher for a very long time. I'm not so sure that that's true. I don't know that God, it says that he's not a respecter of persons, you know, and, and, and he's very equal and he's fair and he's just. I, I don't think that God really judges us more strictly. Now, every one of us is going to give an account to God one day for what we've been given and what we do with what we've been given. And, and that's, that means that some people are going to be looked at differently than others based on that. But that doesn't just mean preachers. You know, that's everybody. You know, we all have things that we have to do. And so I'm not sure. Now, to a degree, yes, it's true. But what I do know, without any doubt at all, is that you will be held in greater scrutiny in the eyes of people. That can cause problems. <laughs> is that if you are a master, a teacher, a leader, then you will be scrutinized, judged by people in a much more severe uh, way. And, and, and so um, there, there is, because of that then, because of what happens, there is a greater preparation that's necessary. That's absolutely true, is that if you're going to speak in front of people, then before God, you can expect that there is going to be a more difficult journey of preparation because you need some thick skin, you need some experience, you need some tact, you need some empathy, you need some uh, sympathy. You know, there's a lot, and there's a lot that goes into developing that we don't come downloaded with those uh, tools. So there's a greater preparation, that's absolute. There's also a great responsibility. If you're going to speak on behalf of God uh, and teach on behalf of God, you are holding something very sacred in your trust because people form their opinions about God based upon things they hear teachers, leaders, pastors, preachers say. And so I have a responsibility to represent God rightly, not just in the truth of who he is, but even in his character, in the way that that he's represented through the things I say or in the things that that I say. And so it's a great responsibility. That's absolutely true. So there's uh, definitely greater preparation and there is great responsibility. Um, And there absolutely is a stricter judgment uh, on behalf of people. And that's what James says next. I want you to notice what he says in verse 2. Because when he talks about the greater condemnation, he doesn't at all then apply it in in the context of God. He applies it in the context of people. Watch verse 2. 
He says, for in many things we offend all. Now, the word offend there, it literally means to, uh, to stumble. It means to trip. It means to offend. To offend. You, know, you know what it's like to be offended, like someone gets offended or hurt. All of those things are, are, are ways that you could look at it. For in many ways we offend all. And if any man offend not with his words, then that same is a perfect man, and he's able also to bridle or to control uh, the whole body. Now, what I have learned, and you know this, it's just common sense, is that it is impossible to talk to a group of people of any size. It could be five people or it could be 500 people. It's impossible to talk to a group of people without being mistaken, without being misunderstood, without being misinterpreted, or in some way without being disconnected, whether or not feeling what they're feeling or experiencing what they're going through or, or saying something that, that in the context of what someone is going through right now in their life, you're killing them even though you have no idea that you're doing that. And it is impossible not to do that every time you talk to a group of people. You, uh, you just can't do it, and it happens. Um, I, I remember there was one time that uh, I was teaching, and I was talking about parenting. And, you know, right there off the bat, you know that you're on dangerous ground. You're talking about some sensitive stuff. And I was talking about discipline. Oh, boy. It's now, you know, now things are getting real sketchy, you know, because you've got all kinds of things going on. And I told a story about a time when um, one of my sons was young and he was not receiving the message from the board of education <laughs> and uh and 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 we found ourselves not knowing what to do because the board of education applied to the seat of understanding was not conveying <laughs> the necessary uh information to 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 the mind and heart of a young child and and so really not knowing what to do, I, I took and I put him in the window and I said, you sit here and watch out there. And I took this brand new um, toy uh, remote control excavator that he had been given. It was this beautiful, really cool thing that everything, the controls all worked. I took it outside, outside of his window and I took a baseball bat to it and, and literally just, it, it received a great condemnation, a greater condemnation. <laughs> and, 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 and it worked. It was, I don't, it was just God's grace and a miracle, but like what could not be broken by conventional means was broken that way for, in that time. And it was, you know, it's like, didn't know what else to do, but God used it. And there was something, there was a breakthrough, <laughs> break, break up and a breakthrough all, all at once. And I told that story, and, and the, the purpose of telling that story was just to say that God uses different things at different times. Not everything is textbook, not everything, you know, whatever. Telling that story stumbled someone severely, and they were very upset with me. For, for, for having done that. And, I, and you, you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, like you're, you're trying to be helpful. You're trying to like convey experience. And what do you, you know, what do you get for it? You know, the whole thing. I remember uh, there was another time opening up a teaching and, and we had a really great weather day. And uh, I was communicating what a great day it was, you know, and I shared some of the things that had just been a blessing in that day. Uh, you know, the, 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 the air, the temperature, the opportunity, you know, have, going home, eating outside with my family, having a burger, you know, the whole thing, getting into the teaching. Someone came up to me at the end of the teaching and said, yeah, it must be nice to have such a great life. <laughs> 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 you, know, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, but 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 here's here's what here's what you learn, is that it is so easy to hurt someone unintentionally. 
and and without even saying anything wrong you know the tongue is so dangerous <laughs> you know and you could and it takes a long time to learn and you can't learn it any other way than going through it that sometimes the simplest subtlest most innocent things can be harmful and there's almost an instinct that comes over time you know with learning what you can say and what you can't say you know because you're going to you're going to speak and you're going to rub people's scars you talk about marriage, you're going to rub scars. You start talking about sex, you're going to rub people's scars. You start talking about divorce, parenting, you're going to rub scars. People are going to get hurt. It's going to happen, and there's nothing uh, much that you can do about that. And so James says, for in many things, we offend all. And people are brutal. Uh, that's what you need to know. People are brutal, and if you're not called to teach. And if you're not committed to teach, then you're going to quit because it's that hard at times. It's, it's just that, that's just the truth of it. It's really difficult thing to do. Uh, and, and a lot of times when people quit because of that, they usually aren't involved in church anymore for the rest of their life, or at least it's, they're very loosely involved. Um, there's a saying that, that's kind of known amongst preachers and pastors, and that is that the average pastor leaves the pastorate over seven people, meaning that, that uh, they can minister to thousands. They can minister for years, but seven people, if you look deep enough, you'll find that there's seven people that have caused that person to say, I am done with this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and there's, I understand that. You know, I, I'm maybe up to three or four, you know, in my young <laughs> ministry life. I'll let you know when I get to seven if I was actually called or not, <laughs> you know, to do this. But, but essentially, that's what James is saying. He's saying, listen, look with sobriety upon what you think you're getting into when you want to speak or teach for God, because the tongue is a very dangerous thing. It can get you into trouble, and it can cause a whole world of hurt. And if you learn to control it, then you've learned to control an amazing thing because you're able now to control just about anything. You can bridle the whole body. Now he gives two illustrations of this in verses three and four, everyday things that we all are familiar with. He says, behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us and we turn around their whole body. So big animal, a lot of potential, much stronger than a man. It has the ability to hurt a man or help a man. It could go either way, but we control it with this tiny little thing that weighs about four ounces. We put it in its mouth, and we can control it. We pull to the left, it goes left. We pull it to the right, it goes right. We pull it back, it stops. We, we loosen it a little bit, it goes. We can control a whole horse by putting something in its mouth. Four pounds, or four ounces. Then, verse 3, behold, we put, I'm sorry, verse 4, behold the ships which though they be so great and are driven by fierce winds, yet they're turned around with a very small helm whithersoever the governor lists. In other words, you know, the, the helm, when you, when you say what's greater, a helm or a wind, the wind is greater. The wind is stronger. What's greater, the ship or the helm? The ship is greater. The ship is stronger. But if you put the helm in the right place, you can use the helm to govern the ship and use the wind. So this little tiny helm can control things that are much stronger and greater than it is if it's used in the proper way. And so now he applies the illustration in verse 5. He says, even so, 
In the same way, the tongue is a little member and it boasts great things. So just like the helm and the bit can control the ship or the horse, the tongue can control the man. And if you can control the tongue, then you can control the entire man. And that's uh, just the way that it is. So a controlled tongue in this whole thing. And now, so the tongue can control and change the direction of an entire life. That's what he's saying. Your tongue can control or change the direction of your whole life. This happens circumstantially. We all know this. Uh, we all, most of us in here, I think, almost all of us in here said two words that circumstantially changed our entire life. We said, I do. And when we said, I do, this little tongue changed the circumstances of our entire life in in just one moment. You know, when we we did that. Uh, Many of us in here have used the words, I accept. We took a position or we, we took a volunteer position or something. And those two words, we realized, like, I had no idea what I was doing when I said I accept that job or that position or the whole thing. It's just a little thing, two words, and it changes the circumstances of our lives drastically. Sometimes it can be consequential. We can use a couple words and there can be great consequences. We tell a little lie. And a little lie that we tell that takes about four seconds and is real easy to do can change the landscape of our entire life, right? This one little lie changes so much. Costs us sleep, costs us money, costs our reputation. Sometimes it costs us the job that we accepted. Sometimes it costs us the marriage where we said I do. It can change a lot, just a little lie. Uh, Sometimes making a promise that we either know we can't keep or that we find out we can't keep. Just a little thing, just a little promise. Yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'm in. And it changes things drastically, the tongue. It says, notice how James uses the phrase. He says this. I love it. He watched verse 5, the end. He says, behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. In other words, the idea is that you have this amazing pile of matter. And yet you have this tiny little fire. And this tiny little fire can ruin the huge pile. You know, I've told you guys the story before about uh, the first brush fire that I ever had at my house. You know, we, when we were first cleaning up the property, we plowed everything into a big pile right in the middle of the yard. And it sat from like March till July. Like it just sat there drying out. Like all this thorn, all the wild rose, all the branches, everything was just sat there and it dried out. And I thought on a day, this is a good day. You know, nice summer hot day. This is a great day. And so I thought, I'll do my diligence. And I brought the the garden hose out, and I made a big wet circle around where the fire was going to be. And and, and Rocky was out there with me. And I grabbed the torch and and the thing. And I even said to Rocky, I said, this is probably going to take a while for this fire to take off. Sometimes this can be a real pain, you know? (laughs) And and, uh, I, I hit it on one side. Before I really even got around to the other side to hit it, it was all ready. And I'm like, oh, this won't be so bad. I hit the other side. Within about 10 minutes, I was scared. I mean, I've never seen the violence of fire. Like, I, like the sound. It was like whoop, whoop. You know, these flames like shooting up, right? And I was literally thinking, like, I'm already rehearsing it. I'm going to jail. I'm going to be fined. I just burned down the neighborhood. Like, I was literally afraid. And I, but, I, but I'm thinking, at the same time, I'm thinking, if Georgia sees this, 
then then she's going to call the fire department, you know? And so I thought, all right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand here with the hose, and I'm just going to sit here, and I'm going to lean like, like I'm really relaxed and chill, right? And I'm going to pretend like it's no big deal. And Rocky is there, and he's going, Dad, whoa, this is huge. And I'm going, shut up, shut up, shut up, stop it. Sit, just stand still, and I'm and, and I'm sitting there with the hose like this, the whole thing. So sure enough, the thing takes off fast, it burns fast, it goes down fast. So I finish my work, I go inside, and George is there in the kitchen, and she goes, "That was some fire you had out there." I go, "Yeah, yeah, it got away from me a little bit," and she goes, "You know, she goes, I almost called the fire department, but you looked so relaxed." <laughs> That I thought, you know, he must know what he's doing. <laughs> and I said, all right, I got to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, that, that, was, that was just one of the times that fire ha- has, you know, almost humbled me greatly, you know. <laughs> uh, and I won't tell all the stories. I'll save them for another time. But all that to say, behold, how great a matter... A little tiny fire can kindle. I want you to just think about Abraham for a minute. She's my sister. Three words. Real easy to say. And it set off a human trafficking scandal that affected an entire country and his family life for the rest of his life. Three words. She's my sister. What a great matter, a little fire. He was greatly humiliated. There was great strain that was put upon his marriage. And a great disease was brought upon a whole nation because of three words spoken by a man. She's my sister. How about, how about, how about three words spoken by David, King David? Saul sent me. He came to Abiathar the priest. He was running, he was hungry, he was a fugitive, he lied. He said, Saul sent me, I need food for the men. And Abiathar the priest had no idea what was going on, so he gave David the bread, and when Saul investigated what happened, Abiathar was accused of conspiracy with David, and 80 priests were killed. Three words, Saul sent me, just... David's got the blood of 80 priests on his hands and on his conscience because of three little words. Amazing. How about, how about Isaiah? Uh, five words. Here I am, send me. <laughs> Here I am, send me. God said, who will go for us? Here I am, send me. Oh, you're going. It, it, yeah, it was great. I mean, he's Isaiah. We get to read his book. He made it, you know, but he was cut in half with a saw. It affected his life forever. Just five words. Here I am, send me. God heard that prayer. Here I am, send me. How about the Apostle Paul? Four words. He said, I appeal to Caesar. He was about to be let go. He was a prisoner for the Lord. He had been beaten, tortured, imprisoned, held unjustly, sat in a dungeon for a very long time. And and when he pled his case before Felix, Felix listened to him. Not you. <laughs> you know, Felix listened to him, heard him, the whole thing. And there was this whole thing. And Paul just said, I appeal to Caesar. And Felix says, bummer. 
He goes, I was about to set you free. He goes, but you appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. And then, you know, sure enough, and that was all God's will. I know I understand all that. But do you understand how, how quickly and how innocently our words can change the course of our life? And that's what James is saying here. He's saying that this is what the tongue does. I remember uh, there was a, 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 a moment that, that is a scar in my past. It was when my eight-year-old, now eight-year-old, was in the womb. And we went for the ultrasound uh, to see the health of the baby and also, if possible, to find out the gender. And so I had my three uh, kids with us, Hosanna, Rocky, and Sarah. Hosanna was 10, and then everything, everybody was younger. She's the oldest, so she was 10, and the others were there. And, um, and we, were, we were excitedly talking about the gender of the child. And, and as boys and girls can be silly, we were saying, I hope it's a boy. And they'd say, I hope it's a girl. And, and I, I, I wanted a son. You know, uh, would have would have been equally happy with the daughter, as you guys know. That's just how how it is. You know, uh, hoping for hoping for a son. Uh, in my old age, I was thinking at the time, you know, and, and so we were going back and forth. I hope it's a boy. I, I, we hope it's a girl. It's going to be a boy. It's going to be a girl. And it was and it was fun, you know. But then we get into the ultrasound room, and as the um, as the technician is is moving the thing, I, I actually saw before she did, you know. And, I was so experienced. I'd seen this. This is my fourth time now, you know. It happened to see. And I, and I said, it's a boy. And she went, wait. And she goes, yep, it's a boy. And I said, yes. I said, one word. I said, yes. And my daughter burst into tears. Burst into tears. And, and I saw the weight of her reaction. And it way exceeded the reaction of just having, you know, lost a contact contest or not having a sister. It was different than that. And I didn't realize it until a few moments later that I just made a huge mistake. Is that I made her feel inadequate for being a girl. That was the source of those tears. So unintentional. Such far-reaching consequences, something that can get so far inside and affect someone for the rest of their life. The tongue is a fire. Notice how James says it, the severity of it. He says in verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. In other words, the tongue has a direct communication line between the pit of hell. If there's a connection between hell and earth, it is through the human tongue. That's amazing to think about, isn't it? You know, it's funny. Sometimes when we watch the news, that's what we're watching. We're literally watching the channel that exists between hell and earth. The talking heads, right? It itself is set on fire of hell. And notice what James says here. He says, For every kind of beast, bird, serpent, things in the sea, all of those things can be tamed and has been tamed of mankind. You see people hanging out with tigers, lions, cuddling and nosing up with lions. Not me. I ain't doing it. I've seen people put their head in alligators' mouths. You know, like all, you can tame any of those things. Anything can be tamed. But watch this, verse 8. But it says, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Do you know how many times an alligator has to clamp down on someone's head for it to be considered untamed? How many? 
<laughs> if an alligator goes 20 years without clamping down on someone's head, and then in the 21st year, it clamps down on someone's head, is that alligator considered tame? That's right. Do you, do you understand? Here's what James is saying. He's like, listen, you can control your tongue for 10 years. You cannot make a mistake with your tongue. But at some point, it is going to bite. It cannot be tamed. You're going to mess up. <laughs> Somewhere, your tongue is going to get you in trouble, and no one has ever avoided that. No man can tame the tongue. And then he says this. He says, Therewith, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the image of God, or made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, now here's the application. James is so, so deep in his applications. I'm some, sometimes he leaves me wanting. He says, these things ought not to be. That's, that's, that's really the conclusion point of James. It, just stop it. Don't do this. You know, this is not the way that it should be. He doesn't really offer a ton of solutions uh, beyond that. That's where I'm thankful for the rest of the Bible. Because the rest of the Bible uh, absolutely does. He says this is not the way that God intended life to be, and this is, the way, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. And so how do we fix the tongue? How do we control the tongue? Because that's the exhortation here. If it was impossible, then he wouldn't have to write it. He would just say, ah, let the thing fly. You know, but, but God does have something to say to us, and the consequences, as we know, are severe. So how do we control or fix or protect ourselves from this attached enemy uh, that we have? And, and so two, two ways. Number one is ask for help, all right? Uh, a connection to the Father. Job chapter 6, verse 24, he, Job says, teach me. He's talking to God. He says, teach me, and I will hold my tongue. All right, so part of our prayer is asking God, help me, Lord, that, that my tongue be under control. Teach me. And that's what he does. Every time we make a mistake with our tongue, we can either excuse it or we can embrace it and learn from it, right? That's what it means to be taught, right? We make a mistake and we learn what it did. We see the carnage it cost and hopefully we'll learn from that and it will become a teacher for us, a guide that, oh man, I got to be careful when I say this or when I talk to that group of people or when I bring things up in this way. And so uh, that's one. David said this in Psalm 141 verse 3. I love this one. It's a great picture. He says, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. That's a great prayer. In other words, God, just, just, I know you have thousands and ten thousands of angels. Would you just put one right in front of my lips? And would you guard everything that comes out of it? And if, and if, and if a word starts, if it starts, just knock it down before it, can, before it can fully formulate. Just tie the tongue. Set a watch, O oh Lord. Put a watchman. Put a guard in front of my mouth and keep me from causing trouble with my tongue. That's a great prayer. And so as we make a connection to the Father and, and say, teach me, Lord, how to use my tongue, and as we ask protection from God, uh, he helps us to do that. And so that, that's a practical thing, is just to ask God. But there's a more practical thing, and this is where James uh, kind of gives us a clue. Notice in verse 11, back in James chapter 3, he says, uh, does a fountain, and I want you to mark that word, does a fountain or a well, 
send at the same place both sweet water and bitter water? Or can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain, and here's where it is, no fountain can both yield salt water and fresh water. And so here's, here's how you guard your tongue. This is how you control your tongue or learn to control your tongue, and that's to look after the fountain. In other words, the things that come out of our mouth don't originate in our mouth. The things that come out of our mouth originate somewhere else. And, and what is going on in that somewhere else is going to determine the quality and the potency and the safety of what comes out of my mouth. So if I want what comes out of my mouth to be pure and helpful and holy, then where it's coming from has to be pure and helpful and holy. So what did Jesus say? In Matthew chapter 15, verse 10, notice this. Jesus said that he, it says that he called the multitude and he said unto them, hear and understand. Not that which goes into the mouth defiles a man, but that which comes out of the mouth, this defiles the man. So then came his disciples and they said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended after they heard the saying? (laughs) Everyone's offended, right? Someone's going to always be. But Jesus answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted up. That's just a gracious way of saying, I really don't care. (laughs) They were offended. He says, leave them alone for they be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind, blind lead the blind, then both shall fall into the ditch. Well, then answered Peter and said unto him, well, declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, are you also yet without understanding? And now here Jesus explains what he means. He says, do you not yet understand that whatever enters in at the mouth, that's the food, goes into the belly and is cast out in the drought? You know what happens to it after you eat it. But those things which come out of the mouth, that's the words that we speak, They come from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unclean hands, that does not defile a man. In other words, the true mark of someone's cleanliness is not the physical state, but it's the spiritual state. And, and what makes me pure is what's going on in my heart and in my fountain. And if what's clean inside or what's inside is clean, then what comes out is going to be clean. And conversely, if what's inside is defiled, then what's going to come out is going to be defiled. And so the way that I learn to control my tongue is primarily through what I'm allowing to influence and shape what's going on inside my heart. See, if you, if you want to If you want to know why a stream is polluted, all you have to do is go to the source of the stream and see what's going on there, and you'll find out. Because what's upstream is going to reflect what is downstream. And so it is with our words. What comes out of our mouth is a reflection of what's going on inside of our heart. And so if what's coming out is impure, it's because what's inside is impure. In Proverbs chapter 4, the proverb says this, He says, my son, and just receive this as though God is saying it to you. My son, attend to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. In other words, if you want to know how to have a pure heart, 
then just attend to God's word. Let God's word be the reigning influence in your life. The thing that you delight in, the thing that you uh, take in, feast upon, let the word of God into your heart consistently and it'll cleanse your heart. Now watch this. Keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from you a perverse mouth and perverse lips put far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and let your eyelids look straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Turn not to the right hand or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. In other words, you have a determined say in what the condition of your heart is based upon what you're allowing into your life. If you're allowing God's word to be the supreme influence, then your heart is going to be increasingly purified. But if you're allowing defilement things into your heart and into your life, then that's going to be in your heart. It's going to come out of your mouth. And everything is going to have a chain reaction, a domino effect. I'm going to skip this verse, but you can write down the reference if you want to. But it's just a quick illustration, uh, something that happened in the life of Elisha, where uh, there was a, 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 a polluted fountain. The water was bitter. In other words, people were drinking the water and getting sick. And uh, essentially, Elisha uh, said, bring me a, 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 you know, a cruise. It's a bucket of something, of salt. And he took the bucket of salt and he dumped it into the well and he said, now go get some of the water. And they found that the poison had been removed. The water was cleansed after the salt went in. Okay, so let's um, go right to what Paul says then in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer every man. Okay, Jesus would say, have salt within yourselves. Paul tells us that the salt is the grace of God. All right, so if, which we know already, we have polluted hearts, there's a bitter fountain inside of here, how do I cleanse that fountain? I allow the word of God and the grace of God to get fully into my life so that then the salt of God can come out. The fountain is cleansed. All right, he cleanses the fountain. And so I have to allow God to fix the fountain. It's true what they say, garbage in, what? garbage out, okay? But if I allow God's purity in, then there's going to be purity that comes out in my life. Now, why, why do I bother? Why, why is James taking the time to tell me this? Why does it matter? Why is it worth the effort for me to f- try to fix something that eventually is going to come and bite me anyways? You know, what, why? What's the purpose? What, what sh- why should I? Well, number one is because he says that if you can learn how to control your tongue, you're going to learn how to control just about anything in your life. He says that back in verse 2. He says that if you can control the tongue, you can control the whole body. And here's why. Because you say, well, what's the correlation? How is that going to help me, you know, with my lust life if I can control my tongue? Because learning to control your tongue means that you have learned to rehearse consequences. If I say this, they're going to hear this. And that's going to mean this. And then I'm going to have to, and you go, I ain't saying that. You've rehearsed consequences. You're thinking before you're speaking, which is really easy to, it's easy to speak, right? If you can learn to think before you speak, it's easier to do that, to, to think before you act than it is to think before you speak because actions take more effort. So you start rehearsing consequences. If I do this, then this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And I ain't doing that. You know, you come to the conclusion, you know, so learn to control your tongue. You can control anything. 
So that's one benefit. That's why you should do it. Disciplines have spillover. Um, I, I've, I'm out of time, but there's so many cool stories of things I've gotten in trouble with my tongue. I want to tell you, but save them for another. <laughs> another, another reason, and, and we'll skip these verses because we'll hit them next time, but if you look at verses 13 through 18, I'll read them, but I won't spend too much time on them. Notice what James says. He says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show it or demonstrate it out of a good lifestyle, his work with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, then glory not and lie not against the truth. For this wisdom descends not from above, that, that is the, the envy kind, the bitter kind, the, the impure kind. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But, in contrast to that, the wisdom that is from above, wisdom from God, is pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. In other words, if, if your fountain is cleansed and you can control your tongue, then you both, you are going to enjoy the benefits of having God's wisdom flowing through your life, and you're also going to have something to give to someone else. The things that you speak are going to edify, they're going to instruct, they're going to build up, they're going to help you're going to have something to give to people that's actually helpful to them. I, I, we're going to talk about this wisdom, the wisdom of God, next time. You know, so I'm not going to get into it too much here. Um, but it's a, a remarkable thing when, when a person can possess the wisdom of God and be able to give that to, to others. And then finally, number three. So not only are you able to control your whole body, possess and give away wisdom, but then number three is that you're going to experience great peace. Notice verse 18. He says that the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. How many in here have ever experienced anxiety because of something that came out of your mouth? (laughs) And how many of you in here have ever experienced peace because of something you didn't say? That's just practical, isn't it? I heard someone say one time, I've never regretted something I didn't say. And there's truth in that. I've never regret. I have regretted things I've said. I have. I have whispered to myself, "I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that." <laughs> and so there's a peace that comes with learning how to control your tongue. And so, for if nothing else, than those reasons that that you, you there's a level of control that you can learn to exercise over your entire life if you can just control your tongue. And there's a wisdom that you can possess and give away to others. If you can allow your fountain to be purified so that the source of what comes out of your mouth is clean, and there's a peace that you can experience in just knowing how to possess and use your words correctly. And so James' motive is that we would know the wholeness, the fullness of God's work in our lives, his way, and that it might be protected, that we might not lose what God is putting into our lives. And a huge part of that One-fifth of James' message, a whole chapter, is just learning to control this little, tiny, four-ounce helm that God has given to each one of us. Amen? Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, 
leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.